1: Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I happen to be Jason Chaffetz, and I really appreciate you joining us. This week, we're going to, you know, uh, highlight a few things in the news, and then we're really going to highlight the stupid, because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we were going to phone a friend, but guess what? We can sit down in person with Pete Hegseth. Pete Hegseth, you know him from Fox News, uh, Fox and Friends Weekend. He's a good patriot, served overseas, and I just thought... What a great week to, to, to actually talk with Pete. So uh, we're going to chat with Pete and talk about the world and what's going on on a whole bunch of subjects. Everything from education to the military to wokeism. we're going to try to tackle that with one of my favorites here at Fox, Pete Hegseth. Um, but let me highlight a few things in the news first because this is a mixed bag for me. Um, actually, I'm really proud of her. Um, Brittany Greiner. I can't tell you that I even knew who she was until she was detained in Russia. Um, But if you recall, the WNBA star was uh, detained. Uh, She did get out. Um, There can be some criticism of the trade that was made, but nevertheless, it's good to have an American back on American soil. And what I really, really like about what happened in this story is she said that she would now proudly stand for the National Anthem. Um, She didn't do that before. Oftentimes in the WNBA, what they would do is go into the locker room and just not be present when the National Anthem has occurred. But now she's taken a different position. Uh, She spent about 10 months in a prison, said she fully couldn't stand up. She's rather tall. I don't know how tall she is, but she's really quite tall. She couldn't even stand up properly. And now that she's back on American soil, she's said that the flag, our country, means a lot more to her. And there's nothing better than a redemption story. Somebody who's coming back into, to see things in a in a different, more positive light and to see her standing. That's what she says she's going to do, at least according to her agent, um, that Brittany Geiner is going to do that at the WNBA games. I, I, good for her. I mean, uh, I think that's good for the country. I think it's good for her. I think it's good for for all of us. And so, hats off to her for for doing that. Also, want to highlight uh, Fred Taylor. Fred Taylor is 101 years old. He is an Iowa native. He was highlighted by uh, in a variety of different ways. But at a graduation ceremony at Cornell, uh, he went there because he missed his graduation. 80 years ago. 80 years ago, he was due to graduate, but couldn't attend the the graduation ceremonies because of his service in World War II. So a pretty good excuse for not attending, um, but I'm glad even after all these years, he's able to walk through and go through graduation. And what a good inspiration to so many people. And I hope His uh, classmates, so to speak, understand the type of sacrifice that the greatest generation made. Tremendous sacrifices. And, uh, you know, in a very hard fought, we lost millions of people between World War I and World War II. In addition to the other wars that were from Vietnam to the Korean War, a lot of people lost their lives. Millions that gave up their lives to make the United States better um, and respected, and free to this day. And these were people generally in their 20s, some in their teens, that went overseas, put a gun in their hand, and told them to go fight. And they did. And we overcame insurmountable odds. It's what it makes America, America. And so hats off again to Fred Taylor, 101 years old, walking graduation, 80 years after he was supposed to, because of his service in World War II. All right, now let's uh, bring on the stupid, because the other contrast to some of those good feel stories are the the stupid ones. So let's bring on the stupid. All right, uh, conservative Twitter influencer at A.G. Hamilton 29. Well, he's shared a screenshot of the Fox Affiliates outline of a mayor's proposal, and um, interesting, um, this proposal had four key action items: give first-time offenders intervention programs instead of prosecution; way to have that just be a principle; de-escalation training for retail employees, as if it's the retail employees that are causing theft in this uh, this uh, city; uh, establish neighborhood retail watch groups to share theft info. Well, if you're not going to enforce theft, guess what? Sharing info ain't going to do you a whole lot of good. But this one is the best one. This is the best one. Install kiosks in stores to connect would-be thieves with social service programs. As if somebody's going to stop by a kiosk. I was thinking of stealing that lipstick. I was thinking of ripping off that Tylenol and Fed, but, you know, let me, I see this kiosk here. Let me, let's just have, you know, have a social service program. Maybe I can talk it out with this kiosk. Are you kidding me? That to me is pretty, pretty stupid. But I'm glad A.G. Hamilton 29 shared it so that everybody could see what was going on in his city. And that's bringing on the stupid. So rather than having to dial a friend, I'm glad we got Pete Hegseth sitting right here drinking his Mountain Dew. Way better. Diet Mountain Dew. I'm, Diet you know, Mountain try Dew? i to watch the
0: calories, you know. Well, the...
1: Uh, <laughs> I used to drink cartloads of Mountain
0: Dew, and then at about the age of 30, I switched to Diet Mountain Dew, just to, you know, so I could drink as I much. I don't like soda. I'm weird. I'd like water. I'm a, I'm a more... Uh, this is what I drink when I wake up... F- to host the morning show at 5 a.m., the first thing that hit my lips is to,
1: I don't. It's not good for now, me. I I've heard why. a rumor. I have to ask you. I've heard a rumor that you were late once to Fox and Friends. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh maybe I said once. Maybe a little too I've confidently. Been, I've had
0: close calls. You know. You know what morning it was? It was the morning that um, Baghdadi was killed. Oh. And said <laughs> and, and it was killed overnight. Right. News comes out, and of course they're like, "Well, oh, we got Pete's there. We can talk the military side of it." I woke up at 5.15. My alarm didn't go off. I don't know what it was in central New Jersey. The show starts at 6. I mean, I threw things on, ran in the car. My driver drove as fast. Gear, and I, I didn't make it for the, even close for the top of the show. They, they covered it up and put two people, covered it up. And then I showed up in the C block and did an interview. And then we were off C block there. means the third block. I mean, that means is- I missed the first 20, 25 minutes of the show. But
1: it's no going to happen noticed. at some point. It's going to
0: happen. For 7 years of hosting, it's yes. gonna, and then I had one time where I made it by 30 seconds and yeah. they had a camera outside and we made it a big joke. They had a camera <laughs> outside and they were like cuz that was my first thought that morning Jason was oh We'll make, fu- we'll make fun of it. Like, we're on the right, show. Let's right. make fun of the fact that Pete's late. Start the show. Where's Pete? He's not here. Well, th- then we shoot Baghdadi. So it's a serious mm-hmm. morning. Right. Yeah, we can't right. do any of that. We've got to hide all of it. But the other time I was late, they sent a camera crew outside, and I drove to watch up watch the arrival. And I arrived, and I came running in, and we showed it In on the, the tape. dark. Yeah. I made it right at the start of the show. So, all right. Yeah, that's kind of funny.
1: But yeah, no, that's going to happen from time to time. I will say something else I probably shouldn't say just last sunday uh we got he had to come in early at
0: 5:45 because joe biden had a press conference and you know the last thing you want to do is get up earlier so you can watch joe biden like <laughs> that'll
1: keep you up <laughs> that'll
0: really that's inspiration that's energy right so there we get on the couch the, we come up early at 5:55 and he goes and then for whatever reason he decided to give a 40 minute press conference you know from japan he never does that never does that right. like, and i'm watching and then I lean back on the couch, and then I kind of, and then I close my eyes. <laughs> it goes all the way to six thirty. It's six thirty. He's still going, and at this point, I'm, I'm not there. And so, <laughs> and so the, the the producers get that he goes, all right, I'm done. And the producers get in our ear and go, okay. And I hopped up. It was one of those moments where I hopped up and I was like. <gasps> <laughs> and if they, if I had, I had nothing to say. I had no idea what was going on. And thankfully, actually, right after that, he took another question as he, right, he, he, he stood right. up and yelled another one. And it gave me a second to be like, so I was about a second and a half away from having a Tucker moment, but I, I was there.
1: Yeah. I was there. That, that moment where I think that the key here is to own it. Rather oh, yeah. Than- oh, yeah.
0: But, I, but because it wasn't seen on camera and it was sort of the g seven. So my moment.
1: only real hiccup on air was actually it was on CNN when I was still in Congress. And I was in this heated debate about Benghazi with Wesley Clark, right? The former mm, yeah. four-star general. Talking Supreme Allied Commander. Supreme Allied Commander. We're arguing about Benghazi. And I, I'm like making this passionate thing that, look, we were in a firefight and I said fire fart as opposed to fire fight. <laughs> and it kind of took the wind out of my sails for just a moment. And I thought, well, maybe nobody will notice. But my phone in my pocket just started buzzing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trey Gowdy, my brother, <laughs> they're all pinging me. Like You said fire fart, you know. Fire fart. Like. And it does kind of kill your argument in that moment. Yeah, it bit. doesn't give, when you, especially when you're knocking heads with a four-star yeah. general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, okay, fire farter. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> But I was I really meant it though I was really into it, yeah, I believe it. Hey, I wanted to chat with you this week because you know we got Memorial Day, and I worry about I worry about the younger generation you got kids, I got kids i 'm older than you, my kids are probably mm-hmm. are older than yours, um, but I still worry about this younger generation, and you 've been so good on a couple fronts one is obviously the military, the passion for our country and freedom and liberty, but also about education, right? The schools and the specials you've done for Fox and whatnot. They go kind of hand in glove because, yes. um, but I, I worry about, you know, going into Memorial Day. We got some patriotic, you know, holidays, right? You have Flag Day, Memorial Day, you have the 4th of July. But having a true sense of patriotism in your heart, isn't just for those holidays. It's no. it, it's the way you kind of lead your life and things you respect. And I just wanted to talk about that a yeah. little bit.
0: You're exactly right. Um, they do go hand in glove. And, you know, knowing your heart and knowing how I feel, like it's the kind of, it's why we are in this business is right. to perpetuate this American experiment yeah. and all these things we love. But when I think about when I was a kid, Memorial Day actually had a really big impact on me. It's the reason really? why I joined the military. When I was a kid, my parent. And it's why I'm such a believer in civic ritual, in ceremonies and parades. When Trump said I want to have a huge parade, I was yeah. all about it. Yeah. Just, just because we forget about the imprint those moments have on young, impressionable minds. My parents used to take me to the Memorial Day parade in blink-and-you-miss-it, 300-person farming town, Wanamingo, Minnesota. But the whole town would show up on this big, wide mi- Main Street, and all the vets you know, would walk down Main Street in yeah. their uniforms, and there's only this is a small town. And then you got like the, the county sheriff and the marching band and the local fire department. And that's it. Like, it's not much, right. but I remember as a kid watching the the folks in the town stand and applaud when those vets walked by. Yeah. And there was maybe a dozen of them, 15 of them, but I, you don't see that kind of reverence very often for individuals. And then of course, because it's Memorial Day, not about the living, but about those left behind, we would go down to Memorial Park in Wanamingo and have a ceremony for all, all the men of many generations of this little town who'd paid the ultimate sacrifice. I didn't connect it later, but I, later you start to think, think about if you add up all the Wanamingo Minnesotas. Right. And that starts to give you just a little f- flavor of the depth of sacrifice so that you and I could be here doing this. But that, the 4th of July, other ceremonies... It just gave me a perspective of, hmm, these guys are really special, and they did something that people think is important for the country. I should be willing to do that someday. Hmm. Like, that's the light bulb. It was like, I, if they did it, I should be able to. And my, my parents, were, we're not a military family, nothing. And I didn't know the Marine Corps from the Army, I, I, you know, when I, when I first signed up. But if I hadn't had those interactions where it wasn't celebrated and recognized as something good, I probably never would have. Put the uniform on. Yeah, how would on. you so know? You don't, ha- you don't have to go into the military, but even just bringing kids to ceremonies where they see, hey, these guys are special. This is good. What we have in America is different. And I know you haven't gone to other parts of the world, but those guys have. And they've seen it. And that's why they kiss the ground when they come home. So the more we can do at Fox for special programming to, to, to pound it home, the more... You're looking for something to do where you live like start a ceremony like that if it's fallen out of fashion or make sure it's promoted properly so that families with young kids come out and celebrate yeah. it. I just those are the subtle things. If we're not going to get it in our textbooks or in our
1: classrooms, which we should still be fighting for, obviously, too. There are a few moments where kids can be inspired too. Yeah. And I think it's incumbent upon parents to ha- let them have those experiences. Like I I look at voting, for instance. Yeah. I, I always remember going with my mom and dad. When it was time to vote, I'd go and stand in that booth. Nobody wanted to stand in line, watch them punch and, you know, punch cards sure. or right. But then it was like, oh, this is what we do. And I think it's true with memorial day and and Fourth of July isn't just about you know fireworks it's mm-hmm. it's about the celebration of freedom and liberty but um and and the founding of our country and why we founded this country but Memorial Day is a special time. It is a time of of reverence, and I know it's you know beach time, and it's warmer, and everybody wants to put on their bathing suit and grill some hot dogs, and
0: and I think you should do all that.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. Take but a why mom- we do it. Yes, take a moment before you do that. Yeah, so that
0: the kids understand why you get a chance to do that because all the guys that I serve with and. You know, They'll all say, hey, what would, what would the boys want us to do? They'd want us to crack a beer and have a great day. don't yeah. you don't have to sit in the corner and be sad all day. Recognize it, honor it, and then celebrate the lives that they live on their behalf.
1: You know, I, when I was in Congress, tremendous honor, uh, eight and a half years, and I used to carry a card in my wallet of each of the people who died while I was in Congress mm. from my congressional district. And I'm proud that I went to each of their funerals. I spoke at each of their funerals. And it wasn't about me at all. Um, But I happened to be holding that seat at that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, handing a flag to the moms, uh, it just really got me. And I remember, at least in Utah, it was tradition that the um, bikers would come out in Mm -hmm. force. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm talking like. If you were into bike, if you were a biker, I'm talking the hardcore leather. Yep. They would have this like I I don't know what the the proper term is. Almost like an honor guard. They would all have a flag on yep. the back of their bike, and they would ride up and they would encircle the church. Gets me now. It got me mm-hmm. then. It's like they would and I went and shook every one of their hands, thanked them for being there. It was such an emotional moment, and I just wish everybody in the community would see that and feel that because I think some people look at them and say, oh, they're the least like, no, they care more about our country and did more to show it and took time out of their day to show up. And it was such a great moment. You know, it's like, it's the hardest, most difficult thing I had to do as a member of Congress, but it's also the most rewarding, Mm -hmm. touching, you know, I still feel it today.
0: Well, if, if we had this on video you'd see jason's eyes welling up and the emotion and the connection to it it's true and first of all it is not about you but you represent something which is the closest thing most of those families are going to get to a recognition from the federal government of their sacrifice right right. and being there i'm sure they all said to you means more uh than you know and and as that extension of that hand and then those riders man i'm telling you because uh, there's a lot of different biker groups like that across the country, and we work with them a lot um, in the vets groups that I ran. A lot of them are Vietnam vets, yeah, and um, and they never got anything like this.
1: It's true, and yeah. they
0: that generation, the way they've given back for this generation, uh, is an underreported story. That it was the Vietnam vets that greeted the Iraq and Afghanistan guys and said, "Never again will we you be treated, right? And right be treated right. like because." The dirty secret is the World War II guys didn't stick up for the Vietnam vets. In Mm. fact, there was a lot of in the Legion Hall, we won our war, you lost yours. Mm. And and, and not to love World War II vets and all that, but generationally there was a bit of this clash. They were just Mm. two different groups of people. It was
1: also, uh, you know, you had the draft and everything else. I also remember I went out on the San Jacinto, which is in the Eisenhower carrier group, and I got to spend the night. Um, I asked to be there on Thanksgiving and I helped serve the troops Thanksgiving, mm. uh, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. And they're all laughing at me because this this ship is pitching to the left <laughs> and the right. And I'm sliding all over the place. You know, I can't keep my, my balance and whatnot. But what struck me is I was amazed because like 95% of the people on that ship are in their 20s. And they were literally representative from like about 30 different states. Mm-hmm. Talk about... Amalgamation of just all corners of our country come yeah. together to serve in a united purpose, you know, about 15 miles off the coast of Iran. It, it was, it was surreal.
0: 15 and it, miles off the coast of Iran. That would be surreal. It is surreal, yeah. you
1: know, and they're ready for for the Iranians to come at them with, you know, drones and ships and fast, fast boats. boats and, yeah. yeah. And, um, and I just thought, uh, you know, and and so they put me in the quarters there to spend the night, and I had the nicest bunk that there is. And um, but they had a, a list of people who had lost their lives mm-hmm. in their service, and you see that, and you, you start to recognize how real it is, because it wasn't just. There's millions of people who did this for their country. Mm-hmm.
0: Millions. 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 It's hard to of, fathom. Millions of people from southern Utah and right. southern Minnesota with from places and with names we'll never know. Yeah. And if thank God for them. And I I worry about being able to continue to produce them, to fill our ranks with them. And I know we will. Yeah, at so many let's levels. talk
1: about that because um wait, anyway, just to kind of finish that thought. You can stop by almost any cemetery and you'll, they'll have a portion of the cemetery dedicated to people who served mm-hmm. and lost their lives and, and do that. It's it's really a neat moment. Yeah. But but then now I watch the TV. I mean, look what's up on the screen right now. We're talking about yeah. how woke we can get and how green we can go. And I, and I worry that this next generation, we're lowering the standards. We don't have the demand for excellence and we can't fill the ranks. Mm hmm.
0: We're lowering the standards in the name of equity and mostly in the name of gender equity in trying to get females into combat positions or different roles. And the argument the Pentagon makes is, well, you... You promote. You traditionally get promoted if you come out of combat ranks. So we need to fill. None of it has to do with do we have the best people in the right places. Right. In fact, I was just at Fort Campbell last week with a with a battalion commander. I was there for my old unit's reunion, and I talked to one of the battalion commanders there, uh, and I asked him about that dynamic, and he said actually we have. He said I have four female platoon leaders in an infantry rifle company, and he said they're good. He mm-hmm. said they're good. They're smart and. Uh, their their platoons you know he's one thing that did give me some pause he said the, these platoons protect him like a pack i said that's that's good because that's the male instinct but that's not good like it, the instinct shouldn't be protect the female platoon leader you know it should right. be get out and close protect and the platoon the enemy, period protect the platoon and the female platoon leader is job is to add assets to the fight right because you're not really a trigger puller when you're when you're a platoon leader like i was you're directing the fight not if you're shooting your weapon things are going poorly okay (laughs) you're in trouble you're in trouble (laughs) but he also said we have zero um rifle uh rank and file infantrymen who are females zero Hmm. he said they just they don't want to they don't want to do the job it's not it's 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 a this is something that Dudes have dreamed about in their backyard of doing and played army for years, and now they get to go be in an elite unit. But they're the army's fighting to try to change those standards to fill those ranks with more females. Yeah. And, it, and none of this is anti-female. It's just you know pro-science and pro-lethality. Men are different, have different instincts, have a different orientation, and then the race side plays in too. You, I, I I'm actually writing a book that'll come out next year basically how the military went woke, kind of battle for the american Mm -hmm. mind for the military and it's a much shorter story because the education in the classroom was a 100 over 100 year project that progressives just chipped away right this is basically i mean there was some stuff under jimmy carter there was it was basically a barack obama story is Mm. where it started. When they started to say, this is a merit-based organization that we don't control and we don't trust it. And so we're going to fill the ranks with political generals who will do our bidding. And then we're going to start to push the same kind of garbage that you see across government and across universities into the military. And so the story is not how did the military go woke? It's how did the military let itself go woke? I mean, it was generals who were effectively politicians who were doing, and yes, there is civilian control of the military, but there's also should be, but every time the military pushed back, the politicians ignored them. So remember when they were trying to push women into combat, the Marine Corps produced a study. They did a full study, men and women combat, and it came back like, bad idea. Like <laughs> women are getting injured in training. They're not able to cape up. If you want to fill the ranks, you have to lower the standards, all of those. And the White House said, we don't care, fill it. Mm. And you can do that with a corporation. You can do that with whatever you do that with Bud Light, do whatever you want. You can't do that with a military, not when not when you got to look that family in Utah in the eye and say, was was he given every availability and possibility to, to be a success? This is unlike the classroom. The Pentagon feels like the kind of thing that could be reoriented with the right kind of leadership at 1600, with the right kind of chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And you're gonna, still going to have to rip some stuff up, but everyone inside the organization in the war fighting capacities wants to go back to the old school way of doing things. Right. Uh, all this woke garbage is that we don't need to be paying for gender reassignment surgery <sighs> so for new hard. recruits, Jason. As part of my interviews, recruits are joining the Army. And then they're immediately declaring themselves trans. I'm not saying this is happening everywhere, but it's happening enough that people know right. about it. And then the army is giving them the uh, the uh, medication necessary, and then the surgery, oh. which makes them combat ineffective. They can't train, they can't do anything, and we're paying for it so that they can transition, and then most of them don't stay in anyway.
1: That's so crazy.
0: Mind-boggling!
1: What, what, what? <laughs> gosh, what? what is the... Uh What's the parallel to also going green? Because hey, yeah, we we, okay. If we can do things with solar panels, great. But I mean, the the push to go green does not make us the biggest, baddest war fighting machine on the face of the planet.
0: I don't. It 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 is again. I do think it is. It reflects in some quarters a sincere religious belief that climate change is the biggest. Threat that we face. I mean, I think think there are plenty of people out there that really believe the world's going to end, and we're going to. By the way, while we're building, you know, battery-powered tanks, China's pumping out diesel-powered tanks. You know, and emissions are emissions, regardless of where they're emitting. And they're building coal plants every week, right? Yeah. I, I was I didn't you know, I wasn't a straight A student in graduate school. But when we studied policy, we learned about something called the global commons problem, which means, you know, if one person's doing something wrong over here, like dumping sewage into the river and you're not, it's still your problem because it's coming past you right, anyway. Right, right. right. Well, same thing with the mission. So here we are cutting off our nose to spite our face, putting batteries into tanks that would be heavier and, ch- and no one else is doing it. So we're not actually making the climate any cleaner, and we're getting weaker in the process. I mean, there's nothing—can you imagine battery-powered Humvees? Have you seen the electrical grid in Iraq? (laughs) 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 Or Afghanistan? Do you know what it takes just to get your generator running on base? (laughs) It doesn't happen. So I mean, we were
1: you gonna, laughing, but it's like, how
0: are you going to power these batteries? What with diesel generators? I, because it's the only reliable form of fuel. So you're not actually going more green, and you, oh man, I'm, I'm in this firefight, but I got to charge my battery. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just, it's fallacy. Yeah, but but the defense industry will chase those dollars. As oh, you know.
1: there's they're going to chase hundreds them. of billions of dollars. Do you want to, batteries? Yes, sir. Batteries. I'll give you batteries. Well, Kamala Harris spoke at the at the Naval Academy, mm-hmm. and she gave a speech, and she made this joke about, you talk to anybody, they'll tell you they'd much rather carry solar panels than batteries. And, I, and I'm over there thinking, like a lot of people thinking, those solar panels are going to do what? you got to still charge a battery. Absolutely. Like, come on. Are you kidding me?
0: This person's going to lead AI? Now, the only thing that would change it is the idea of innovation, right? If we innovate our way to some... Magical, lightweight battery. Hey, I'm not great. opposed to, yeah. Great. Come I want to be it. more combat effective. I don't want to carry this big thing on my back, like whatever. But it's not driven by that prerogative. It's yeah. driven by zero emissions and then figure it out. Like if you want to make it a fourth order effective combat, like, oh, and a fourth thing is if we can do it a little cheaper and a little greener, great.
1: Yeah. Uh, fine. That makes sense to me. Yeah. But I just want- Test it. Let's go try to figure out how to do some things like that. But come on. Yeah. You're not going to, you're going to transform your... So that's why someone who comes,
0: problem is, well, someone who comes in, to just, say hey, scrap all that. Problem is you've got such a lead time of all these, uh, so you've yeah. got all these companies dialed in for batteries and that's how stuff becomes... Uh, almost unstoppable
1: well i i think i keep going back to the navy, to our navy you know when ronald reagan was president we had more than 600 ships now we have less than 300 so and we got some serious fighting on on the horizon if we have we need to weakness. project power yeah in our yes. in our navy is one of the biggest assets ever and can you fight on two and a half fronts no you can't right now and, and can you fight to kind of tie it back to our original part of
0: our discussion can you f- fight a sustained battle against a devoted enemy when your population doesn't believe you're the good guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like we still had enough reservoir of rah, rah America that after nine 11 people got together and said, it's not clear in a future conflict with the way young people are being indoctrinated, that they will feel like we're on the side of good. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I would like to be optimistic and say, you know what? There'll be a rally around the flag effect. But if you're, if you're continually defining us by our sins to our kids, then us fighting the communist Chinese over Taiwan, let's say, most kids will probably say, what's that worth? It's yeah. probably theirs. Can't
1: eh. point to it on a map.
0: Can't point to it on a map. Like, we've, done, we've been aggressors around the world for a long time. And I'm not, I've actually changed my views a lot on how active we should be in the world on a lot of levels. Yeah. We better get some humility after Iraq and Afghanistan, the outcomes there, about right. what we can affect. So I'm not the first one to say, let's go, let's, let's go break stuff.
1: But if we had to could we sustain it? And that's in question. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Pete Hegseth right after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Again, this it does go full circle back to, I you know, when I first got involved in politics and really, really kind of dug in with all, you know, 100% of my being to being the very best member of Congress I possibly could, and I was really studying and looking at it, I felt like there were certain things that we could be united on. The mm-hmm. flag, support of our military, support of our police, I don't think that's true anymore. I used to be able to say with confidence that we were fighting for the same things. We just had different ways of getting there. I don't think that's true anymore. We had a law enforcement resolution on the floor just a few weeks ago. Not everybody voted in favor of supporting our, our, our local law enforcement. That's unbelievable to me. We're just, uh, we're just at a different moment. And I don't like to...
0: We can often suffer from momentism where we think like our moment is the most important. It's always the most important right, election right. ever, right? Coming up, the most important election ever. We can go too far with that thinking, especially people will say, well, what about the 60s? Super turbulent, political assassinations, right. racial strife, like really bad. But on other than those clear sins that had to be rectified and different things that had to be changed. There were still basic bedrock things that Republicans and Democrats would look at each other and say, well, we agree on that. Like like Kennedy was a tax cutting anti-communist pro-lifer. Like that's where the, there were, there were core assumptions. And that's what scares me about this moment is whether it's on gender, whether it's on race, whether it's on our flag, certainly on issues of religion, We are on absolute (coughs) diametrically opposed positions. So there is no, okay, let's come together in good faith on this bill. Well, yeah. good faith on what yeah. aspect, what shared ground are we coming? Usually if there's an alliance on a bill, and you know this better than me, it's two sides with totally different motivations for the reasons for that bill that it come together in some unholy alliance to get it passed. It's not, okay, we agree enough on what's going on that we can figure it out. Yeah, it's, it's a different moment, and it starts with the classroom. It's, it's bro- broken families. Uh, it's education. It's a lack of religion, which leads to a lack of humility. You, you, Your people are solidified on their side. Everything is existential. Policy is is toward the per- perfection of the individual, right. which, with faith, you realize is totally impossible. And we all need grace. And we're all fallen. And we're all broken. So let's fix what we can fix and
1: realize what we can't. With all of that gone, stuff. So it. Uh, so much of this, I think, leads to this lack of respect. This generation seems to have this degree of immediacy, right? Everything's on Instagram. Everything's on social media. Get it right now it, immediate satisfaction. This idea that you had to work for something or that you had to get a job or that you, the value of a dollar. And I read, I, I saw this stat. It was just an unbelievable stat to me. It was something like 52% of Americans that are 18 to 28 years old still live at home, the majority of them. How, Don't how do is that, that to me? That ain't happening in the Hegseth household. That is a stunning number. of How many kids are still home? No. Inflation, the economy, sure. it's difficult. Okay? But there's a problem here because I think everybody looks at that Instagram and says, oh, well, you know, my life's going to, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to be an influencer. I'm going to do all this. And yet we're missing so much because not everybody's going to do that.
0: Yeah. We're extending adolescence effectively. I mean, it mm-hmm. used to be, you know, your dad wanted you to you know, grow up, figure it out, toughen up. And it's just between, I don't know, the phones have a big, th- big thing to do with it too. In talking to this battalion commander, again, I asked him about his troops, his Joes. And he said, man, it's a totally different world. Like they want, per- they want a sense of purpose from the moment they join the unit. And I'm like, excuse me, your privates want a sense of purpose. <laughs> <laughs> your privates are lucky they have a last name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're here to execute whatever you want them to do and embrace embrace the suck as we used to say. Like, do you, he said, no, no, no. When we're training, like if it's not relevant to them and it's not purposeful, like they shut down and they're out in two years. So they're having to, cater, which basically means we got to pepper in blowing stuff up so they think it's interesting, as opposed. Which I guess is kind of a good thing, but there,
1: there is I don't, I just think there's. But it's not about the unit. It's not no, about it's not the about, whole. No, it's, it's not, not about, about
0: the whole. It's not about the unit. It's about because them. your identity is found in your phone and who you are and yeah. you know how how are you different on the grievance matrix uh, and that's what gives you relevancy. Um, the world is empty, and if you're seeking adoration and affection and validation from the world, your life will be empty. Yeah. You, you, you will be sitting at home in your parents' house trying to run an Instagram feed and thinking it's cool, but knowing inside it's not cool.
1: So full circle to the military on this Memorial Day, what I I think is missing, in part from this for this generation, is this greater sense of good, the whole of the country, the sacrifices that have been made, and the duty and obligation and opportunity to leave something better than how they found it. Not this... Fake utopia that they see generated by lights on a phone that they are just—it's connected to it's because
0: they're not being told the story of America. Yeah. Like if you're not being given a full spectrum view from from language to uh, literature to history, to faith, to the, to the Bible, to Latin, to, to just like the basic bedrocks that introduce you to characters of Western civilization, because we're all just part of this long story right. and we, we don't live in a magical moment. We're an extension of what happened in the past. Our schools teach almost nothing of that, which means you're pretty yeah. much disconnected from your heritage of who we are, which means today yeah. you're anything and whatever you want to be. So what do you mean? I'm going to celebrate who we are. I don't even know who we are. It's like loving your family, but not knowing your uncles. Like, you don't, <laughs> you know, I, I'm proud to be a hexath, but I don't know my uncles. And, but here's what a hexath means now. Like, you right. may kind of make it up on your own, which makes it empty and very selfish. And I, I, I know I'm a product of that. Like, I, I grew up in a decent public school in the 90s with, in retrospect, a very shallow, surfacey, empty understanding of American history or of right. certainly the Western story. Like, I I wasn't introduced to that until I started reading on my own in the 20s. and Oh, my goodness. There's this really rich history here. Why didn't anybody teach me this? Yeah. Because we just aren't. And so kids are left floundering around looking for something that will validate them or give them purpose. And today
1: it's superficial things like race or gender or or sexual orientation. I I do think that after 9-11, I think one of the mistakes was to just tell everybody, keep shopping, keep going to the mall. Hmm. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Pete Hegseth right after this. My, um, my mother-in-law passed away recently, um, but she was, uh, she was 89 years old. But she talks about during the war effort and the fact that she had young kids when her husband, who's still alive, he's 95, went off and served in, in Vietnam and how difficult that was to be raising the kids by themselves. Mm. And so when they were asked to produce certain things to show up, and this is in the Phoenix, Arizona you know, era, they had to gather together, even her as a little girl, and make things mm. that the military was using. But there was a sense of sacrifice, that there were people that were losing their lives, going overseas, and they were there to help and support them. And yet, when we came under attack, lost 3,000 Americans, and we had people like yourself and others say, I will raise my hand, I will serve overseas, I don't think the message should have necessarily been, you just keep living your life and go shopping at the mall because everything's going to be okay. I think that was a missed opportunity,
0: actually. I I think you're right. Um, I hadn't thought about that in a while, uh, for sure, or at least a way to get additional investment amongst young people who maybe don't want to join the military but want to be more civically inclined. and I'm They not can t- still serve their country.
1: Absolutely. Even though they may not carry a gun and they may <sighs> not go overseas. I get that. But there's still a way to support the people that are doing that. Yep, yep. But to have them come back and just say, oh, yeah, you know, just get a job and all the, you know. I
0: think that part of it is that that's messier and, and more inefficient, right? Yeah. Like, so World War II and all It was messy and inefficient, and it took us a long time to get on our feet. And the way Washington operates now, you know better than me, but like a military industrial complex and all of that is like dollars, money, fast, efficiency, go, go. What do you mean we're going to have Rosie the Riveter over there making stuff? Like that's not efficient. That's not going to work. And so I do think part of it, as government gets bigger and involved in more, it just squeezes out the innovative and interesting ways that people want to get involved. So they end up sending care packages with socks in them which is great. I loved. I wore the socks. They were great, but it was re, you had to be really dedicated and really want to be involved and take your own independent action in order to be, yeah. because otherwise, as you point out, it was meant to be totally separate. Like we can fight this form war over here for 20 years and it doesn't impact you at all. Yeah. Which does create that stratification.
1: I still remember one of the best things my wife and I did after nine 11, our kids were real young. I only had two over three kids at, at that point. And, um, We had them draw pictures and we tried to find an address of a Hmm. local fire department and they made these macaroni necklaces. I mean, you know, they did something right. And at least made the parents, me and Julie, feel better.
0: Well, and it, but it also imprints on their heart. Right. You know, I mean, my wife does that all the, she has them make cookies and go to the local fire hall. And, and it's, and I don't even know if they probably don't eat them. They're probably terrible, (laughs) you know, and it's not about the firefighters. I mean, it is. Yeah. But it's about these kids seeing this is what we do in this family. We support these yeah. guys. Yeah. Just like we go to church on Sunday. This is what we do yeah. as a family. And that's that's that has as much value as anything else. Yeah.
1: And so here we are, Memorial Day, uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. But Memorial Day is obviously a good time to stop and think about, because every family has relatives at some point, somewhere uh, that, that serve this nation. And certainly they have friends and neighbors and you guarantee you go to your local cemetery um, there there are people that need to be, that should be recognized and their stories should be told. And I appreciate your service. I really do. And well, we, we can thank everybody who's still living, mm-hmm. who has has served in, in our military. Memorial Day is about those that have passed. But I still think we can take the opportunity to thank those well, that are that, serving. I didn't and know and that story
0: of you with your guys in your district. And, and we need more people like that across the political spectrum who would. Because, unfortunately, there are too many that probably shirk that responsibility. Yeah. So I, I
1: salute you. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Can't thank Pete enough for his service to his country, um, for the good friend that uh, he is. His upbeat, optimistic, caring as a as a father and as somebody who loves his country and his family. Um, it's just a good friend. And I appreciate him sharing the thoughts today. I also want to remind people to that they can listen to this podcast ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. also want to remind people to please subscribe to the show. If you can rate the show, that'd be even better. And uh, you can also go over to foxnewspodcast.com to see others in the Fox family with their podcasts. And again, I want to thank people for um, this holiday season and uh, these celebrations that we have in the summer, the moments that we pause and give thanks to our country. Thanks for the service of those who have made this country so good, so safe, and so um, just the greatest country on the face of the planet. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House.